Bandwidth for ChangeLog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Welcome to Request for Commits, a podcast that explores different perspectives in open source sustainability. On this show, we talk to people about the human side of code. We cover everything from community and governance to businesses and licensing. If you've ever wondered how open source projects get started, survive, die, or flourish, then you're going to love this show. I'm Nadia Ekbal. And I'm Michael Rogers. On today's show, Michael and I talk with Charlotte Spencer, a software developer who's done a lot of notable work around making open source more approachable and is a core member of the Hoodie Project. Charlotte is the creator of Your First PR, an organization that helps people make their first open source contribution and helps projects attract new contributors. In our time with Charlotte, we got inside the head of first-time contributors and talked about what projects can do to attract, retain, and communicate with contributors. So Charlotte, what was your very first PR? Let's kick things off. Uh, I had to check before we had this conversation but nice. um if you using firstpr.me by the lovely andrew who i believe that you had on your podcast a couple of weeks ago oh andrew nesbitt yeah yes apparently my first pull request was spelling changes i found some spelling mistakes in some kind of oh, a node.js express tutorial and and fixed those about three years ago was this part of the 24 pull request no, no, I just, uh, growing up, I had the nickname Spellchecker because I'm physically unable to do anything until I've corrected a spelling mistake. Um, so I just saw it and then discovered that I could press edit on a page and then did the thing. Nice. Was it scary to make your first PR or was it just sort of like, oh, easy edit? Oh, no, it's hella scary because I wasn't even a programmer at this point. I just knew what GitHub was. So this was done three years ago and I've only actually been a programmer for two years. Um, so it was kind of a, uh, I hope that no one is mean to me and this was the right thing to do. But it went really well. And they said, thank you. Uh, always thank your contributors. Um, and it was it was relatively straightforward. But scary. Given that you've also recently learned how to program and at the same time we're getting into open source, I'm curious what those, how those experiences were similar or different. Um, I'd say learning to do open source is obviously aided by being a developer, but I feel like the skill sets are very, very different. So, um, you can learn how to code, um, but you can do that in isolation. You can do that on your own. You can work on your own. You can be a contractor on your own in your little, you know, bedroom where I am currently. Um, but open source, you have to talk to people a lot, um, and it's way more tiring, in my opinion, than actually programming. So you have to, you're a developer and then you have to go, oh, wow, there are all these people who have opinions and need my help and, and all of this. So it's, there's a lot more social aspect that has to be learned by open source, um, which is quite difficult. Like people call them soft skills, but I think they're hard skills. Seems scarier somehow. Yeah, well, there are people, particularly when you become a project maintainer, there are lots of people who like expect something of you. Um, like you need to always be on and you need to always be ready to like answer a question, but like I'm in bed, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> which I ne- haven't said to anybody yet. So are, are there any projects that do like a better job of onboarding into that social atmosphere? Uh, well, I guess a shameless plug for the open source project that I'm a member of hoodie, um, which I know that you had Jan Lanehart who was the co-creator of that on a few weeks ago. Um, I think that there's always things that we can improve on, but we do a pretty good job of of onboarding people. For example, it's Hacktoberfest this uh, month, which is DigitalOcean's month of making pull requests. And if you make four, you get a T-shirt. So the activity in Hoodie is really busy at the moment because there are a lot of people going, hey, I want to do my first pull request. This is amazing. But um, so we kind of onboard people before they even know they're being onboarded by providing them with issues and we explain the step-by-step of everything that you need to do we help we mentor the pull request and uh, invite you to slack channels etc and as soon as you've made your first pull request we invite you to be a contributor of the team um so it's quite it can be quite fast and overwhelming it was overwhelming when i came into hoodie for the first time but i think we do a very good job at least from the very beginning on how to onboard people and keep um, and get people into the project um as jan mentioned a few weeks ago we 
we're not very good yet at the what next kind of thing. So we have a lot of people who contribute to the first time and then may not be able to do something after that. So that's something that we need to talk about and, and kind of work out how to keep people interested and keep people solving things and having a good time. It's a good problem to have, though. I mean, you've done such a good job at getting people uh, over the first step into the pipeline. You've yeah. never got a problem. So that's the scariest up. part. Like, yeah, yeah. at that point, people don't seem to be as fearful of contributing to open source, but kind of we don't yet have enough to give them to keep them doing the thing. So they overcome that first barrier, and then we're like, ah, yeah, we should probably think about how you can... A lot of people kind of are able to do it themselves, like they will pick up some issues. But if you're still nervous because that's your first contribution, um, it's still really overwhelming. You did your one PR, you feel amazing, but oh gosh, I have no idea what to do next. Um, and that's the part that we should probably start looking at once we've released uh, Hoodie 1.0. And you're in that position yourself with Hoodie, right? Can you tell us and for our listeners a little bit about how you went from your first contribution to Hoodie to becoming a member of the core team? Oh, uh, that's uh, it's not a particularly interesting story because it happened by accident. As I already mentioned, I, I don't enjoy spelling mistakes. There's nothing wrong with doing them, but um, I like to correct them if people are willing for me to do that. So I think I followed Jan for some time on Twitter. And I think he tweeted like, hey, look at this website. The website was Hoodie. Um, and as most of the people in Hoodie don't have English as a first language, there's a little bit of a grammatical barrier there. So it wasn't so much uh, spelling mistakes, but more this would sound better if it was this rather than what you had previously. So by that time, I had been teaching myself programming for a few, like six months, and I'd had an internship at that point, and I uh, knew how to do PR, knew how to use GitHub properly at this point. So I, I, I think over the course of a weekend, I did like 10 pull requests for various parts of the uh, website. Um, and then I think it was Ola Basido, who is awesome, um, who messaged me saying, hey, do you want to be part of the GitHub group? And I was like, yeah, cool. And then uh, did some, I started to focus a lot on accessibility and stuff. So PR, 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 um, but mainly focusing on the community and accessibility parts. And then I guess almost a year later, I was invited, well, I was told or suggested that I should be a core contributor. So it was quite fast from going from not being in the open source community at all and just barely being a programmer to I'm now one of the big faces on the website, which is awesome. It's kind of interesting because it seems like there are skills that you also have to learn outside of the project itself or that a project might not always have the resources to teach a new contributor Oh yeah, um, before you're able to do other things. Yeah, I was kind of I think the best thing about the experience is that Hoodie were always around to answer questions. So I'd sit in the Slack and I'd be like, oh, how do I do this? Or what's the best way to do this? Like I wasn't ever doing it alone. Um, and I think when you get, you know, large open source projects, um, you, you're often maybe doing it alone because you can't, no one can hold your hand forever. But there was enough people at Hoodie to just be like, hey, we want to see you succeed. So let's help you succeed. Um, and I think that's something that Hoodie does very well, so that you never really feel alone when you're contributing. It, it sounds also like you were bringing a skill set that they that they were lacking a little bit as well, right? So it, it's like, you know, the contribution is also really valued because it's not like they're just teaching you how to do things that they were doing. It's like you're actually mm -hmm. bringing a lot of, you know, great skills to the table as well. I like to think so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we... I mentioned Hacktoberfest and we've got a lot of really good issues out there. And um, that issue template kind of was kickstarted by me because Hoodie allowed me to create my own open source project, which is your first PR. Um, and I couldn't vouch, I couldn't proclaim that we should be writing good issues without the open source project that I work with having good issues. So I kickstarted that and then it snowballed into its own thing. And, and Gregor in particular is doing really good work with starter issues and stuff. Um, so I brought that and I like to think that, you know, I bring a, brought some life experiences that maybe other people on the team hadn't considered. For example, you know, I'm non-binary and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not from Germany and, and, and you know. <laughs> we're, we're quite, we're quite German, <laughs> so, which is awesome. Um, but just, I feel like I, I contributed to kind of 
some opinions that maybe hadn't been thought about before. Just uh, the good thing about open source is that you can really get a lot of diverse opinions should you work hard at trying to get them and maintain them. Um, and also, Hoodie didn't necessarily think too much about accessibility in the beginning because it was more about let's help people to build awesome things, but you can't help. But I was more about let's help everyone to build awesome things. Um, so a lot of my initial work was just making the website more accessible, our demo products more accessible, and then started to even take a step back from code and just think about how can we make the community more accessible. Do you have any things that you did to make it more accessible that you want to kind of pull off the shelf and talk about? Um, like just uh, <laughs> bite-sized stories maybe <laughs> that uh, that were, you know, small adjustments that really made it more inviting for people in the community. I guess my big thing is language. So um, I'm someone who doesn't use traditional, you know, she, her, he, him pronouns. Um, so removing the kind of concept of guys out of the um, out of the dynamic, you know, we're not all guys. So why you're referring to me as such? Um, ableist language, like crazy and insane and stuff like that. Um, you know, I also have mental health difficulties. Um, and it's really important for me to cultivate an environment in which people are only saying nice things to each other or neutral things to each other. Like, I don't have time for you to say, hey, guys, check out this crazy React framework um, because, you know, it's little things that could be quite harmful. So tr I kind of not started, but definitely doubled down on, on making sure that the language that we use within our communication was more welcoming. and. It sounds potentially silly to some, but generally just having a nice attitude, which is something that Hoodie had already, but I like to think I'm quite nice. And I like to think that my nice attitude rubs off on other people as well. Um, so, you know, nothing particularly co-related. I don't really talk about code a lot in my day to day. Um, just being nice and 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 thinking about the words that we use. And, and as I already mentioned, our GitHub issues and stuff like that. Keeping it nice is, is actually hard. I mean, as you get really, really big, everybody has to be nice, especially people in leadership. And oh, it's hard yeah. to keep that many people to it. You know? yeah. So I, I say that I'm a nice person, and hopefully most people would agree. But it's, it's a lot of work. Um, to go back to the Hacktoberfest thing again, We a lot of people are really, really excited about doing their first pull request, but so much so they're not really paying attention. So we have 17 people asked to claim an issue after that issue has already been solved. So I have to calmly oh explain. Yeah, it's a thing. I have to calmly explain, hello, blah, 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 you know, adding all the usernames so they get the notification. This has already been solved. Um, always a good idea to check before you claim something because I don't want other people to step on other people's toes because it's quite disheartening. For you, for example, if Nadia claimed an issue and then an hour later saying, I'm working on this right now, it's like, no, Charlotte, you can't work on this because Nadia is already working this and maybe you work at different speeds, but Nadia had it first. So at least let Nadia have a chance at doing it before you try and muscle in. I wouldn't say like people are trying to steal contributions of each other, but it's, it's, it, people need to slow down a little bit. Um, and it's difficult in those situations when you get it 10 times a day not to kind of bash your head repeatedly against the desk. Um, but I am, again, lucky in that most of my uh, conversations with the open source community is quite nice, um, at least on GitHub. It's only when we get to Twitter that I get frustrated. But, um, yeah, it's it's difficult to be nice, but it feels good when you are. That's great. We we sort of breezed over your first PR there, um, but I'd actually like to to dig in a little bit more about like exactly what it is and kind of how it came about. So you, you said that it grew out of hoodie, like um, or, or sort of grew out of, of hoodie a bit. Like, can you tell me about that? So it grew out of hoodie in the sense that I felt that I had a safe kind of space in which to kind of bring out some of my own ideas. Um, your first PR is a Twitter account in in you know a glorified twitter account really um which when i have the time i post github issues that i believe to be approachable for a beginner whether they're beginner to open source or perhaps a beginner to programming in its entirety um and the story about behind that is also underwhelming in that i was sitting in this very bedroom 
I think I was in my pajamas. I believe that they were polar bear pajamas, to be specific. And I got really annoyed because I've been in open source for, uh, let's say, six months at this point, and I found it really nice and easy to get into. Um, and it's a, it's a strange thing to be annoyed about, but I knew that a lot of people weren't having those same experiences because a lot of projects are quite difficult to get into because they don't they kind of expect you to contribute or hope that you'll contribute, but they don't really show you how to. Um, so I thought I'd, I spent 10 hours that day going through all the issues on GitHub's that I could do before my eyes started to bleed. And I found that a lot of the GitHub issues were either badly written or they were just a title with nobody and things like that. But people would put beginner labels on them stuff. I'm like, how is this a beginner issue when you don't even explain what the problem is? Um, you just mm. like assume that I know, like if I came into Hoodie for the first time and you said, oh, okay, so we need to upgrade the package or we need to write an NPM script to do this. And I'm like, that's a title. I've never worked with this before. I've never worked with Hoodie before, but you put a beginner label on that. Like that's, well, it's a lie. Um, that's not a beginner issue. It's a beginner issue for me who has been working on Hoodie for however many months over a year now but like it's easy for me but you can't put a beginner issue on something for someone who's never encountered that project and um, so I got angry and then I did a quick Twitter account and then I started to post good issues um, and that kind of seemed to have a trickle down effect which maintainers in particular because although it is for new people to do their first pull request it's actually a slight subtweet, shall we say, to project maintainers saying, you could do better. Here are some people who are doing better. I will help you to be better if you take the time out. Um, and, and here's a good place to get started. Um, yeah, so tweets and stuff is, is what that is. It's <laughs> great. It's a great site. Um, and I, I oh, actually just got... a very badly designed I... website. <laughs> but uh, it has this link to this uh, first timers only article that I actually had never read before from Kent oh, Dobbs. By, uh, it's fin Kent, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kent does uh, great stuff. We kind of started to do kind of similar like, things like that at the same time, but not knowing of each other. And we we kind of know of each other now and we support kind of each other's work a little bit. It's it's good. The more people talking about this, the better. So. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to uh, go into a break now, uh, but when we get right back, we're going to get into uh, what it's like to be a maintainer. Stick around. Hey, Adam Stachowiak here, Editor-in-Chief of Changelog. And if you want to know what our favorite VPS slash cloud server is, that's the new word for it out there, by the way, if you didn't know, it's Linode.com. We host everything we do here at Changelog on Linode cloud servers. The best servers you can ever run is at Linode.com. Head to Linode.com slash RFC to pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location for your next server. Use our code RFC20 for a $20 credit. Once again, Linode.com slash RFC. So Charlotte, one of the complaints that, that I get, even when we, you know, we, we just did uh, in Node Project, we just did this great thing called Code and Learn at Node Interactive, where we had like 20 people submit like their first PR. Um, and a few people, a few of the contributors woke up and were like a little bit grumpy because they woke up to 20 new PRs <laughs> that they needed oh, to yeah. review. Um, and, and generally like, um, you know, one of the problems that we get into is that there's, there's too few maintainers and then increasing the, the funnel actually like puts a lot of new load on them to, to get at these PRs. Um, so, you know, what, what are, what are the conversations like with projects like that, that have fewer maintainers that you're trying to get to, to be more welcoming and to bring in more newcomers? Um, I'd say firstly, it's actually okay for those maintainers to be grumpy about something. It's whether it's, it's, it's how they deal with it after the fact. Like, I don't mind if you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't want to review these pull requests because sometimes it takes me a notoriously long time to review something, particularly for your first PR website. But, um, it's, it's kind of how you deal with the pull request. If you're like, oh, I don't have time to review this and please you know, only contribute to things I've asked you to contribute to. That's just a bad attitude and, you know, shame on you. But it's okay to be grumpy about something. Like I'm as I already mentioned about the um the numerous people not paying attention to the status of an issue, for example, like it's frustrating. It's just, you know, don't 
be more productive with that frustration, I suppose. But it's okay to not want to review something. You don't have to review something because as a maintainer, you don't actually owe people anything. Yes, you're the head of a project, but you're the head of a project in which you work for free in your spare time. And, you know, contributors shouldn't expect too much from a maintainer. Um, But at the same time, you are an open source project and you are calling for contributions. So, I don't know, you can be grumpy. That's okay. But if someone's doing their first ever pull request, you need to remember how terrified they probably are and how in their head they're doing a good thing for you and they probably are doing a good thing for you. So it's okay to take a little bit of time to 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 not review that pull request, maybe a week or a month. Again, you don't know anybody anything, but just kind of conduct yourself as nice as possible when you actually engage with that person because like I said they're doing their first pull request they think they're doing you a favor and they're just really excited about potentially contributing code to something major like Node.js for the first time Um, if I feel like if we spent more time remembering what it was like to be a first-time contributor we'd all be a little bit nicer to people yeah, it's fine if you want to complain in a back channel. Just don't take it out on the person sending yeah. the pull request. <laughs> I complain all the time. Like I have a private Twitter account where I just complain about everything, and I complain in like private Slack channels and the communities I admin and stuff. Like I, everyone who knows I'm nice also knows that I am one of the biggest complainers in the world. But it's <laughs> a lot of people won't see that directed at them because it doesn't help anybody for me to do that. What do you think people forget about? Um, what it's like being a new contributor like what is that person thinking about and what are they hoping to get out of the experience i mean i you know i've been doing programming for two years which isn't a long time and i still wake up most days kind of like anxious about the program that i'm going to do or it's i'm trying to do some pull requests for hacktober and i'm like oh gosh what if they don't like it what if i got it wrong and i even do this when i'm i'm reviewing other people's pull requests for hoodie it's like oh what if i miss something what if i did this and Maybe it helps that I may, I have an anxiety issues, I guess. So I'm always kind of in that anxious state. But just kind of remember what it feels like whenever you do something new for the first time. Like you have a first date or something. Or, you know, you drive a car for the first time. Like it is nerve wracking. So just even if you have to write it down on a post-it note somewhere, like new contributors feel anxious scared you know worried that they've done something wrong and if you can remember that going into when you review a pull request even if you're reviewing a pull request with someone who's done a 6,000 pull requests just remember that things can be scary forever so just treat it with a little bit of you know give someone a a, a hug or something because it's, it's a scary thing and we just need to remember that everything is actually quite difficult this is what i found interesting about um the fact that you both recently learned how to code and like were are, are also dove into the world of open source because I think they are really separate things too. And mm-hmm. like you can like I've met people who are very experienced with software development, but like have never made an open source contribution. Um, oh, yeah. Or like don't even know what GitHub is. Right. Because I mean, mm-hmm. why people don't use it. Um, and yeah, it's like it's. I think like sometimes it gets equated that a first time contributor doesn't know anything about software either. And that's, it's not, yeah. it's like the social aspect itself can be scary enough on its own. It's not even about like code or anything. Yeah. I, lo- I loved that first date analogy because it captures how awkward it is. Like, oh, you, yeah. just, you, you just yeah. don't feel comfortable in the position that you're in. <laughs> and you could have gone on other dates and been really comfortable with other people, but this date <laughs> is awkward. Yeah, I mean, I just submitted a pull request, but it hasn't been reviewed in three days. So should I call them or should I wait for them to call me? You know, it's 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 difficult. Oh, wow. <laughs> we could really take this analogy pretty far, I think. <laughs> I, I could write a book about it. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be really great. I hope that you put together some kind of comic strip or something with that. It would be brilliant. Ooh. <laughs> uh, that would be that would be great. Yeah, I mean, that's the awkward part of it, too, right? Or like a maintainer shouldn't feel pressure to respond to anything immediately. But when there is an early response, it also really increases engagement apparently. Yeah. Um, and so maybe even just like saying, Hey, I see this, I'll get to it later <laughs> is useful. 
um, so people don't feel like they're in so, like they're just not getting anything from the other side. Yeah, there's a I had this lovely person. Um, I opened an issue like a year ago and I wanted to turn the your first PR website into a um, set it up with Jekyll so that it could take blog posts. Um, and this really lovely person spent like a long time doing that for me. And it took me like three months to review it to the point where they closed their pull request because oh. I just didn't. And I felt like I had a few times said, this is really good. As soon as I get a moment, I'll get to it. But, you know, life finds a way to, you know, ruin everything. So it, it just, it got longer and longer before I could review this pull request. And then they closed it. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, this is really good work. Can you reopen your pull request and I'll merge it immediately? And I did. So, and I obviously apologized profusely so much so that they actually did some more work for me and I have the tab open. And if you're listening, friend, I will merge it as soon as I get off this interview. (laughs) I like that. It's kind of just like having open channels of communication so that people understand that everyone is trying. I feel that way about even just like email and everything in general um meeting with people it's like we're all trying our best right with the time that we have yeah i uh i'm actually merging the pull request right now yay live merge nice that's great and so kind of shifting gears a little bit um i feel like a lot of times when people talk about contributions they talk about contributing code um and obviously like the in the conversation we've had even now there are plenty of contributions you can make that aren't code related um, what are some like categories of contributions that you think people, maintainers forget to ask about? Um, everything that isn't code. I, I think that, um, I do, I like, I do this talk called open, open source, yeah, which is about 20 minutes in which I basically have a conversation much like we're having here about how to improve the experience and, and what the experience is like. Um, and Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, you'll have noticed that I haven't talked about programming or any code at all. And then I flash a big slide saying that code isn't important because, you know, let's say Node.js, for example, and I use that as an example because Mikhail's on the call, um, that, you know, someone could have written Node.js and, you know, it was a thing and it was perfect from the beginning. But imagine if nobody knew about node.js and how did people find out about node.js well there were people doing tweets and there were people writing articles and there were people that were moderating the community and the github issues and the pull requests and making sure that they were good and that they were reviewed there are people you know who you never hear from who were sat in in their room kind of thinking about how you can take node.js to the next level and all work that we did behind the scenes at hoodie as well like there's a lot there's a lot of behind the scenes work of just thinking, which I think that is is very underrated when it comes to open source. Like the code doesn't just happen. The pull requests don't get just get merged. There's loads of discussion and there's loads of just sitting quietly in your room thinking about what the next step is. And But then again, you can't write an issue to someone saying, can you do some thinking for me? Um, so kind of concrete examples are, does somebody want to write about a blog post about Node Interactive? Does someone want to write a blog post about the event that Hoodie just spoke at? Um, you know, does somebody want to, can somebody help us design a new logo and things like that? Like there are millions of things that I can't think of right now that, that people can do that can be way more important than the code that you're writing. And, and some of them are just fun and community building. Like I, I mm-hmm. remember in the IOJS days, somebody just subsec just logged an issue that was like, "Hey, let's let's talk about fun logos," and it blew up yep. to like five hundred comments. Yeah, yeah. And it's just people posting like some of them serious brand treatments, and some of them just like mm-hmm. hilarious, like like it was quickly photoshopped things, and it was really really oh, fun. Yeah. And people got, and a lot of like the the way that people found out about IOJS and got interested in it was this crazy logo thread. <laughs> That's pretty much how I remember, you know, IOGS being a thing was was that logo thread. Like I did a very small version of that for your first PR when I was like, uh, like I think a couple of days after I started the thing, can someone make me a logo? And there were, you know, 10 people who had never heard of before, never had a conversation with before. Obviously a varying quality, but I merged them all because I was like, oh, now I have 10 logos so I can do whatever I want. But it was just nice that people were trying and, and you know, people saying, like, I'm not a programmer, but you helped me to do a pull request for the first time of something that I'm really passionate about, which is, you know, art. And, you know, 
people don't spend enough time thinking about art when it comes to programming really i consider programming an art you know i am an artist i just happen to to do art by the medium of code um so you know those are just awesome contributions that that make me happy you know sometimes even more happy than oh i built a thing an app you know or i, I contribute I, I turned your website into a blog but if someone's like oh i spent 10 minutes in paint doing a logo i'm like oh that's amazing <laughs> this all sounds really great for like a big community project um mm-hmm. like hoodie has a very active contributor community and like node obviously has a, a very large community is this also true do you think for a small project that has just like a couple of maintainers where they feel like they're doing the bulk of the work mm. if they if they put something out there will people respond i think it, it very much depends uh like it's much harder for two people who you know don't have followers on Twitter or, for example, you know, uh, just two cool people doing a cool thing. It's it's much harder to get your project out there, um, which is also another a tertiary reason, I guess, for your first PRs, because I wanted to kind of highlight projects doing really awesome things that didn't have like 5000 stars on GitHub and didn't have like their own newsletter and things like that, because there are so many people doing awesome things. Um, but they don't often get the help that they need because they're not, you know, big and awesome like Rails or RSpec or Node or, you know, even a little bit to your first PR, although it's not, you know, a, really a, a code-based thing. There are a lot of people contributing their projects and issues and things like that. Um, so if you're tiny, it's much harder. Um, but And it's it's there's a lot of work that needs to be put in there. I think some of these things are even more important for small projects, like being nice and really welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, like you, you do have less people coming because you're a smaller project. You need to work even harder to try and retain them and, and make their experience really well. It's, I imagine it must be quite stressful because you have to get everything right. Like you have to have, you know, I would expect someone to have a code of conduct, have a readme that I could actually understand and things like that. But that's a lot of work if you're just one person who, you know, wrote five hundred line module about how to ride a unicorn, but you really want contributors, but no one knows about you. So if I come into your project, I do unfortunately have this expectation that you've got a few things right already. Um like having a code of conduct and things like that, because I think that I have quite high standards for any GitHub project because I just I believe that we can do good things and and we can have good projects, but yeah, I small projects is a thing that I is on my list of things to think about and how we can actually kind of help them to get help, as it were. Like I do, I have written a blog post about things that you can do to make your project more accessible, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything if you're not able to attract people to your project to help. So I, I need to think about that. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think there. When people think about strategies for getting new contributors, sometimes it's like, you know, make sure your documentation is really good and you have all these, you know, nice things written out. Um, Then it's Mm -hmm. also like you have to go out to meetups and talk about your project. And I think like it's exhausting. Very different things, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just like having to like balance out like it almost seems like some of the inbound stuff is like it's like must have once you can actually get somebody looking at your project, you got to make sure they stick around by giving them like clear things to do and then like but yeah no one will ever find it if you don't ever put yourself out there Mm -hmm. and i think that i'm too tired to go to meetups and 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 the only events i go to now and it sounds a little bit arrogant but the only events i really go to are either really niche ones where it's a couple of friends talking about something or something that i'm speaking at because attending meetups is extremely exhausting you know it doesn't help if you're you know you have social anxiety like i do and there's a lot of expectations on you know small projects to be like you have to be awesome at everything um and you need to tell me exactly what you need from me and you need to sit there with me and help me because you're really tiny and you want my help so you have to do everything for me and it's like actually no i just want to play playstation and hug my kids um but at the same time i want this 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 to succeed so you have to put that extra effort in because you are just one person with an awesome thing to say um and it's a it's a lot of you know physical and, uh, and emotional labor um i guess the one thing i'd recommend two things one have a code of conduct because 
you know, I think that is the most important part of a project, you know, going forward is like you need to set out your intentions immediately and have a really good readme. A really good readme can go a long way in, you know, it's kind of like, I guess it's like a pitch, um, which, you know, mm. I have opinions about that. But, you know, you're pitching yourself to people who both want to use you and help you like this is no JS. This is hoodie. We do this thing. We are made up of blah, blah, and blah. Um, and we'd really like your help on blah. Here's how to get started, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you can if you can do a really good pitch in the readme, a pitch and that's nicely worded and is friendly and you know, liberal use of emoji, um, and and just a nice attitude, you're way more likely to get someone going, ah, these people sound cool. I think I'll give them a hand. Um, so I guess it's it's just back to that nice thing again. And you know probably have some kind of social media presence on twitter and tell me what your project is so i can spam it out to people or retweet it on your first pr twitter account you know it's it's sad that you still i guess to some extent have to know people and i don't necessarily mean famous people because i have no time for tech celebrities um and the concept of such even though i know that I may be considered some form of name in the open source community. So, well, I mean, I've been invited on this podcast, I guess, but, you know, know people who have the time to help you with things and and can share the project with friends. Like, if you know that somebody who has a specific problem, you can be like, well, I solved this problem. So if this works for you, can you share it with, with people at your work or, or in your Slack channel or something? Um, so, you know, you don't need to... I don't know what I'm saying, but it's it's a lot of hard work. And, and you know, if you start with a good readme, maybe have a couple of beginner issues that you can, or even you just ask people to kind of collaborate with you um, and, and have a nice attitude. I think that can go a long way. I, I think that the, the readme thing is so important. And this is mm-hmm. probably one of the biggest and, and I think positive shifts from GitHub is just how important and upfront GitHub made the readmes. Yes. Um, it, it really does set all the expectations for your project. Mm-hmm. Good, good and bad. I mean, I have some projects where the readme literally says, don't use this. Don't try to contribute yep. to it. Like, this <laughs> is not good. in the state where yeah. you should mess with it yet, please. Um, mm-hmm. And then a lot of other readmes that, you know, say the exact opposite. So. Mm-hmm. It's just it's about intention. And if you can make your intention immediately clear, you can either save someone a whole lot of time so they know not to, you know, hack on Mikhail.js because it's not ready for human consumption, or you, you know, outline a few things that you're looking to ship. Intention is key and, and I can I can probably do an entire interview topic about intention alone. Um but you know, if make yourself clear, don't confuse people and, and you can go a long way. Yeah. I think it was actually documenting everything also of like Mm -hmm. it's not just documenting how your product works but it's also documenting processes documenting the time that you do or don't have available like all that stuff yeah which is a lot what we do in the hoodie editorial team is like how do i do this thing why are we doing this thing like what is our goal and how are we going to get there for projects that are need to tag beginner friendly issues how do they decide what counts as a first timers only type issue um because it it seems like there's also that seems like an imbalance that you even felt from your first pr where people tag Mm. things as first timers only and they're very clearly not um but it's hard to remember sometimes right it's super difficult um and i think that there's issues for a beginner to a project but it assumes that you have some form of experience and then there are the issues where anybody who's never used you know potentially hasn't even programmed before could do it so a lot of the first timers only issues that we have in our hoodie project are we will outline every single step that you need to do to make the pull request from the commit message that you should use how to fork um, and make a pull request like the line by line changes that you could do in the html to to make this thing work how to test it what it should look like but then there's i guess the other is Give me enough information so that I can Google the problem, find a solution, and if that doesn't work, at least I can, you know, I, I made a good go of it. Um, it's it's a sliding scale, and I don't think anybody who says, I don't know if there is a true beginner issue, um, but as long as people are around to kind of help the people who might get stuck on a beginner issue, then it's okay. Um, 
but yeah, I don't think there's there's no such thing as easy. And this is something that I say a lot as well. Like easy is just it's not never easy or simple. Um because someone will inevitably struggle with the thing that you think is easy. So if you be, we used to use easy, um, or rather some people use easy um as a as a as a label for their, their pull requests and it's just a it's just a fallacy. Mm. Um beginner's better because you it's quite it is a little bit of a vague word, but it's better than than the alternative, I guess. And I guess with hoodie, we always have someone around that will be able to guide someone if they're they're not doing so well on an issue. So even if it's a hard beginner issue, we'll help you get there in the end. And if you can't get there in the end, that's okay, but you made it some of the way and that's as long as you learn something, then we're happy. It sounds like the most important thing is to build the support system and then the support mm-hmm. system can improve on itself by like improving, you know, the, the, the criteria for first timer issues and stuff like that. But as long as you have that support system there, you're going to be able to, to help people out anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, building a support system is extremely difficult. I'm, um, I'm an admin for a relatively new JavaScript slack called wheeljs.org, which is started by uh, Kat Marshan. And I can tell you that, 50% of the conversation and the messages sent in that Slack group is the admins in a private channel going, how can we be better? How can we be more supportive? Um, and there is no instant answer to that. Um, I think you just make mistakes and then you build upon them. And um, we certainly did make a couple of mistakes in the beginning of building that community, but they informed the rest of our, our work and into making that community supportive. Um, I guess you can never get it perfect, but trying is is nine-tenths is the problem, I suppose. I think that's a good time to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about how to get new contributors coming back. This message is for all those team leaders out there that are looking to easily add new developers and new designers to their team, easily scale up when you need to. You got a big push coming. You got a new area of the product you've got to go into. You've got more need than you thought you could. You've got to go through all this hassle of putting a job out there and hiring people to find the right people. Well, that's a bunch of hard stuff that you don't need to even deal with. Call upon my friends at TopTal. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. The cool thing about TopTal is that you can hire the top 3% of freelance software developers and designers. And what that means is they've got a rigorous screening process to identify the best. So when you call upon them to help you place the right kind of people into your team, then you know you're calling upon the best people out there. Once again, go to TopTal.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. Or if you'd like a personal introduction, email me, Adam, at changelove.com. And now back to the show. So in the beginning of this podcast, we were talking a little bit about the need to uh, keep first time contributors going in some way and figure out how to give them sort of like medium level opportunities to continue being involved. Can we kind of like come back to that a little bit and, and talk about how to retain first time contributors? Mm, well, the first word that came into my head was actually transparency. So if you let people know what's happening in the project, then they're more likely to be able to keep up with you and thus have an idea of where they can kind of uh, contribute. A lot of uh, programming languages and and frameworks and stuff are doing kind of this week in. So you have this week in Rust, this week in React, and it lets you know kind of what things were merged, who did their first contribution, um, what, what the goal for the next few months is. And if you can just be a little bit transparent about what's going on like i think that there's a danger of you know and this happened in in hoodie when i first joined um, and i i had to say like can you cut it out because there'd be a lot of conversations in back channels that i wasn't a part of mm. so i wouldn't know where to go from you know those initial contributions i didn't know what was happening half the time there would be someone would be like oh yeah well we were talking about that the other day and i was like well you know i wasn't there for that conversation and you didn't document it anywhere so how am i supposed to know where to go next um so a little bit of transparency you know releases where you actually explain the things that were uh, you know the things that happened during that release this week in rust uh, newsletters and such uh, it all if everybody 
is as informed as you, they feel more comfortable and confident in being able to kind of follow on the journey, I guess. And I almost thought about, uh, I confess, like when I first thought about, I was thinking like, you know, what are like the next issues you can kind of throw at a, mm-hmm. at a contributor to like keep them going? But it's almost what you're talking about is more about getting someone involved in the community and making it fun and, and having mm-hmm. them feel like an emotional connection to the project, right? Yeah, I mean, um, so so kind of seeing everybody as equals rather than maintainers and contributors is a big thing. So if you can keep people involved in the conversations and, you know, this is something that I, I believe in just in the general day to day. Like I feel like having a junior on your team is extremely valuable because they question everything that you do mm. um, and having new contributors that you actually go, I'd like to hear your opinion can be massively valuable for your project, makes them feel more included and also informs them about what's coming up next. So, you know, if I said to them, okay, we're going to rebuild everything in React, which obviously would never happen um, because Hoodie is a framework. But for example, um, you know, we're going to build everything in React. So maybe for the next couple of weeks, your contributions could be learning React and 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 kind of being able to help us build these certain things and helping people who don't know React to learn React and, and things like that. Like it, you don't have to be committing work and making pull requests to contribute. Um, like a lot of it is to do with conversations and knowing the right words and things like that. So yeah, I think, you know, having mid-level GitHub issues is a great thing. It's something that we at Hoodie aren't necessarily doing a good job with at the moment, but I do know that we keep potential contributors and, 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 and users and, and things like that, like informed of what we do on our day to day. And yeah, I think that's very valuable. Yeah. I, I think like there's this interesting um, contradiction that you eventually get into at scale between transparency and communication mm-hmm. where you know, like, like transparency is like table stakes, right? Like people can't get involved if they can't see it happening. So it has to be transparent, but eventually so many things are happening that nobody mm-hmm. can reasonably actually figure out what's going on. And there's just too much. Um, and yeah. we're definitely like way beyond that with node now where there's just so many things happening in so many different groups all the time that it's really hard to figure out like the top level overview of what's going on. So we're, we're continuing to just try to figure out like ways that we can inform people. We even, we actually have uh, Jen Turner who does the hoodie uh, newsletter, like oh, working on Jen. a newsletter. Yeah, yeah. Working on a newsletter for Node.js now so that we can try That's to keep awesome. more up to date. Yeah. 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 Jen does great work when it comes to, to communicating like stuff like that. Yeah, she's fantastic. Really fantastic. Um, and, and I think also we've, we've even had some contributors show up that are saying, you know what, like you, you, you all documented these policies a while back, but actually when I watch you operating, you're operating a little bit differently. Like we need to get mm-hmm. the policy updated. And so when everything is out there in public, eventually people just kind of show up to start contributing to it if, it, if, if you value it and if you, you know, make them feel welcomed and everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually I have contributed something to Node such that my name pops up every so often when you do a new release, and and I updated your code of conduct, um, because I knew where to go and I, I knew kind of that that's how the community worked and stuff, um, but yeah, I I think about Node.js a lot actually when it comes to kind of because Hoodie isn't as big as Node.js, but hopefully one day will be. So I kind of, when I'm thinking about, okay, what's next? I think about how does Node do it? And, you know, sometimes how can we do it better than Node are doing it? Because um, I imagine that you, you must have, you know, it is difficult to run something that is the largest anything in open source right now. Um, <laughs> so it's good for me to look at maybe how maybe things don't necessarily go the way that you planned and for me to go, okay, well, how can I learn from that and and, and kind of do it better and then feed it back so that they can do it better as well. Because for a short time, I was on the Node.js inclusivity working group, for example, and it's Node is huge uh, and kind of <laughs> overwhelming. Yes, yes, that's definitely true. I, I think like for us, I mean, we in a year and a half, we went from, you know, 70 to now we have over 90 committers. So yeah. it, it, it also happened really, really quickly. And, and while that was really scary to kind of go through, it also had this kind of side benefit of us not really being able to cargo cult any process like mm-hmm. process had to change really quickly. Um, and I think like like looking at the hoodie project and your first PR, I think that it's all coming from the same culture of 
openness and, and inclusion and, and the kind of open, open source liberal contribution agreements where you're, you're getting people to commit rights really quickly and stuff like that. And so with the node project, we've just been constantly iterating on all the processes. Like the processes are not set in stone. The processes are mutable. They need to change all of the time and everybody needs to get comfortable with changing them. <laughs> um, and then that allows us to change and scale as you go forward. I think that one of the, the worst things that I've seen projects do, especially huge projects, is that they, they find a process that works at the scale that they're at. And then when they double in size, it doesn't work anymore and they don't feel enabled to change it. They feel like, mm -hmm. you know, this is the only process that, you know, enables their values rather than going back to the values to create new processes. Yeah. I mean, um, when I, when I, the first things that I say when I give my open, open source talk is, you know, although the word is in the name, open source is actually incredibly closed um, because there are definitely is that cargo culting, like, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, subject to that as well, because once I'm comfortable with something, I don't like things to change. But if I'm going to work in open source, I have to be prepared for things to change, even on a daily basis, which is not necessarily something that happens in Hoodie right now. But I imagine, you know, probably does happen in Node quite a lot because you have all of these differing experiences and opinions and, and sometimes you just get it wrong. And I think the main thing for open source maintainers to go is to realize that you know, one, they, they're not a benevolent dictator and that just doesn't work in today's like open source at all. Um, and to admit when you do it wrong, which is, I feel like that, you know, again, is a lot of stuff that we talk about in Wheel.js is like, you know, we have to be immediately prepared to realize when we have done something wrong so we can make it better in the future for everybody. Um, yeah, be open to change. That's literally what open source is about, right? Mm -hmm. It's open. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we cannot be open, then we really do need to change that name. <laughs> exactly. Like door slightly open between the hours of 5 to 10 p.m. source, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Working title. Sorry. I like these <laughs> jokes. I'm hilarious, right? <laughs> you are hilarious. <laughs> Yay, validated. So shifting gears a little bit, um, something else you had mentioned in the beginning of this podcast was Hacktoberfest, um, which is mm -hmm. happening this this month. And um, for people who don't know what it is, it's an online event to get um, new contributors to projects. And if you make four pull requests on a project, then you get a T-shirt. Um, and so for events that are focused on getting new contributors to projects, I think there's like a lot of goodwill um, among events and initiatives that want to increase contributions, but then having to balance on the other side of not upsetting maintainers who might not be expecting a barrage of PRs, um, who might not actually be looking for contributions. Do you have any sense around like best practices for contribution type events to run these in ways that are actually mutually beneficial for both sides? Um, probably not, but I'll give it a go. Um, so which part do we want to talk about first, how to do an event or how to kind of deal to try and ensure that those kind of low quality spammy type PRs that I've seen happen yeah. recently, like how to stop those. Cause I mean, my first thing is if you want to do an initiative, um, then particularly if it's like a, a small project or something that kind of isn't used to having barraged by pull requests, like talk to the maintainer first, like, and I know that might sound really obvious, but it's not apparently people <laughs> it's open source, but people don't like talking to other people. Like I, you know, this is the most I've spoken to anybody in like a week. Um, so, wow. you know, communication is really difficult, but if you're, if I woke up and said, Hey, I'm going to do an event for hoodie. We're imagining that I'm not a hoodie contributor at this point. You're like, Oh, I'm going to do an event for hoodie and I'm going to get a hundred people in a room and we're all going to do our first pull request to a hoodie by the end of the day. Like, now putting my maintainer hat back on it for hoodie, I would be well happy, but also terrified and wondering what on earth was going on because I just get barraged by these things. And I was hoping to have a quiet night at home. And now suddenly I've got a hundred poor requests to deal with. Like just that initial communication of like, Hey, I'd really like to do this thing. Do you have the capacity to deal with me doing this thing? Because at the end of the day, you're doing the contributions, but I'm the one at the end of the day who's, who's, sitting there and, and ticking all the boxes off and, and merging those PRs or not merging those PRs and explaining why those PRs can't be merged. So before you even do the event, like, or even start to organize the event, talk to people first. Like, is this a good idea? 
will anybody actually be interested and can the project support these kind of contributions right now? And if the answer is a yes, then I guess we get started with, you know, our first event, which is awesome. Um, before I was a developer, I was an events organizer for the tech community. Um, and it's an extremely hard job, but I don't think for these kind of things, you need to be super professional. You need a comfy chair, some water, some snacks, depending on the long length of the event, and just a nice warm atmosphere. And I think that covers 99% of the things that you need to do. You know, like I'm doing exactly that right now at home. I'm in a comfortable chair. I'm wearing my hoodie because it's freezing in here. I have some water and, you know, I'm contributing to this podcast. And, you know, maybe I'm extremely low man- maintenance, but if you tick off those basic human needs and then, you know, people are very comfortable starting to do those contributions. Like you don't have to have sponsors or like a fancy venue or whatever. You can rent out the basement of a pub for three hours and and, and put on, you know, my Spotify playlist, and then we can just do some contributions. You know, the main thing is that people have support, um, which is probably the hardest part. But like Node Together, for example, you know, it's teaching people Node.js and it's, you know, you spend six hours in a room with obviously regular breaks. You have a bathroom, you have some food and drink, and then you just support each other. Like it doesn't have to be fancy. How much hands-on support do you think organizers should expect to give to people that haven't contributed before for an in-person event? I was surprised by this. But you should probably assess the skill levels of the people. Like, you know, who do you have done events where it's your first ever contribution ever? But they've also done events where, hey, it's just some friends who are quite confident in their abilities hacking together on a shared goal. Um, so know the comfort level of the people who are coming to the event first and be specific about what kind of event it is going to be as well. Like, if it is an event for beginners, then organizers should be prepared to be spending a lot of time helping people but if it's just a casual hackathon thing where at the end of the day you might have made a poor request but it's also just kind of a bit of a get together then it will definitely be less hands-on so just again we go back to intention like what is your intention know that from the beginning communicate with the project and then then it just comes down to admin um which is you know difficult but once you know the intention it's easier to do also i think just pro tip if you're if you're targeting new people be prepared to spend the first hour at least just setting up their environment like, oh yeah that's what that's what that's what new means like, <laughs> new does not mean i i am here with your entire source code repository checked out and the build system working like that's not yeah not what that means very good point like the first hour of node together is like we're now going to get set up and we're not going to move on until people have installed Node. And then we're not going to move on until people have installed this NPM package because if we let people race ahead, then people get left behind. Um, things like Rails Girls, which I went Rails Girls London, um, they do an evening setup um, before the actual event. So we can be like, we're going to have some drinks and some olives or whatever snack food people eat. Olives are gross. You heard it here. Um, you know, let's get spend three hours casually getting set up so that we can do Rails, you know, in the morning. And obviously, if you can't make the setup event, then there'll probably be some extra preamble at the beginning of the event trying to help people again. But be prepared to be taking people through setup. There is absolutely no way that people are going to be fully prepared. I used to do JavaScript workshops, and it was not. It was more than a handful of times that people turned up without a laptop. Yeah, so maybe even having spare laptops where people can just run a REPL or something, you know? You need to... Disaster planning is something that you learn very quickly when you're an events organizer. Like, assume everything's going to go wrong, mm-hmm. and then how are we going to fix that? Yeah. And then on the maintainer side, it's natural, I assume, that some people are just going to try to game the system, submit things that are not great for the sake of saying they contributed. Um, yeah. Are there things that events the event organizers themselves can do to reduce that ha- from happening? Well, if the event organizers are actually maintainers of the project, you can very, you know, you can be like, well, 
<laughs> I'm not accepting this pull request and here are the reasons why, because all you did was, you know, add some spacing in one commit and then take away <laughs> some spacing in a second commit. That's not a pull request. Like, congratulations on making a pull request, but that is not the goal of this event. Um, and if you're not a project maintainer, you you know, hopefully you will feel comfortable enough to be like, look, we are not expecting you to do something amazing, but we do expect you to do something that where the positives outweigh the negatives. Like, bear in mind that someone has to sit there and review this pull request. And if they've got 500 pull requests where 250 of them are you committing some white space and then uncommitting it, like, don't do that because you're going to make people sad. And the goal of open source is not to make people sad. Mm. And I think, like, that should be the tagline of open source. Like, we are here to stop people. <laughs> you know, we're not here to make people be sad. We're here to contribute and be a community. The only time I really see spammy PRs is when we have events like Hacktoberfest and 24 pull requests. Um, I know that a lot of, uh, well, I know that a few project maintainers um, are struggling. You know, to some, some degree I am with Hoodie at the moment where people are, like, spamming, like, I want to do this, I want to do this, or, like, just committing to well-known projects of, like, the spammiest pull requests to get a T-shirt. And, you know, I guess that's just kind of acting in bad faith. Like, I don't ever want to tell somebody that their contribution is not valuable. Like, you did a really spammy pull request, but hey, at least you managed to do a pull request for potentially the first time. But <sighs> maintaining projects is a lot of emotional labor. So I have to be the person to be like, look, this is not something that I would consider to be something that I can put into this project. And I'd appreciate it if you didn't do such pull requests, like if they're obviously, obviously just doing it for a t-shirt. Um, but it's really difficult to like, you have to be that person who weighs the values of other people's work. And that's really dangerous territory. Like we had this conversation with Andrew Nesbitt's project 24 pull requests uh, a year and a half ago, a year ago, being like, there are lots of people who are doing spammy pull requests. There's somebody who's got 300 pull requests by the end of the first day because they just, you know, committed some white space to each of their projects. Um, like, how do you deal with that? And, you know, I wasn't comfortable taking people off a project or removing them from the contribution list because they still did something. And the moment we start to discuss like who's more valuable than other people's, we get into some really dangerous territory. Um, so I think in the end, uh, people removed pull request counts from all profiles or something like that. And, 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 you know, made it so that everybody's contributions were valuable um, because it is not for me to reason you know, unless it's obviously spammy, what is and what isn't valuable in general to a project. So looking ahead beyond your first pull request and beyond becoming a full-time regular contributor, what happens when people's personal circumstances change and open source projects are not something they can spend a lot of time on? Um, how can those projects navigate the flux from contributors who, you know, if you had a couple that were contributing a lot at one point and are now kind of pulling back um how does that affect the project and how can they avoid losing steam it can be pretty daunting if you're a small project uh when the hoodie editorial team started um it started one over the christmas period which was a terrible mistake because obviously people went yeah this is awesome and then disappeared for like three weeks like that's going to happen um but we need so there's an, an amazing person who does most of our uh, thank roll, it's Friday's, you know, kind of uh, Friday link posts for Hoodie. And they had to go away for three weeks or they were going on holiday or they're getting married or having a baby or, you know, they're just tired or, you know, they're sick or something. So that person can disappear without any notice. Um, and that is, you know, annoying, but you're not paying that person to do any work. So you have to be prepared to have those people jumping in and out at all times. Um, the best thing to do is have someone who can take over from that work. So if this person goes off sick, then Gregor or Jen step up to write the newsletter for that Friday or something like that. And, you know, I'll make sure to make some time to review, you know, whatever comes out of that. If if the regular person's not there and, and things like that, like you have to have it's kind of like a tag team no one's ever going to be available at all times um so you need don't and this is just a general rule for projects and you know even in the workplace like don't pigeonhole anybody because if only one person can do the thing 
I think it's called the bus factor. Like what would happen if that person got hit by a bus, which tech has this horrible way of being really kind of quite violent in the terminology it uses. Um, but if that person got hit by a bus, could anybody continue? And you need to think about that in open source because no one's going to be around forever because people enjoy taking naps um, and, and, and not doing open source. And in fact, I'd encourage people to spend less time working on open source at points in their life because it can it can turn into a second job and it can be very exhausting. But yeah, as a project maintainer, be prepared that people could go away at any point. So if you have abandonment issues, then that's something obviously, you know, one needs to work on and you just need to either take on the work yourself or have three other people that know how to do exactly the same thing. Um, easier with larger projects like Node.js probably. And we've got it quite down well in the editorial team. But, you know, there have been times in Hoodie where, like, the only work that's being done is a greenkeeper doing an automatic pull request to update a node version or something. Um, lulls are fine. Hopefully lulls mean that people are just taking a holiday. Um, but, yeah, we can't expect anything from anybody. So you're going to have to deal with it, unfortunately. There's no magic solution to that. It's just it happens. Expect it. Well, and people should take naps. People should take care of each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they know themselves, for sure. Like, I'm about to stop giving my open source talk because it's been done now. Uh, but my next talk is is about self-care and naps and stuff. Like, every time I give my open source talk, the most quoted tweet, uh, the most quoted phrase on Twitter is take more naps. Um, because, one, they're great. And two, you're probably overworking yourself. And, you know, if you spent more time taking naps, you'd, your, your contributions would probably end up being more valuable because you're more rested and you're less stressed. Um, open source will be here forever. If it's not you doing it, somebody else will do it. So just go to sleep for a bit. No one's going to hate you. And if somebody does hate you, then send them to me and we'll have some words. <laughs> That's a great note to leave it on um, until we <laughs> have you come back to talk about self-care for, for another 90 minutes. Oh, yeah, I'd love so. to. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for coming. This was great. It's a great job. Yeah, thanks, Chad. So, we, so we're actually ending on me threatening people. That's, that's how we're ending this podcast. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> I love everybody, and I am a very nonviolent person. Disclaimer. <laughs> thanks for coming. It was great. 